Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, May 17th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topsher with today's stories. Durham's report on the FBI's investigation into Trump's potential ties to Russia is published. Amnesty reports a record number of global executions. OpenAI's CEO testifies before Congress. Ukraine claims to have thwarted another round of Russian drone strikes. The head of Ukraine's Supreme Court is arrested. Florida's Ron DeSantis bans funding for college diversity programs. A man attacks two of Virginia Representative Jerry Connolly's staff. The BBC reports on an elaborate visa scam. Tunisia's opposition leader is jailed. And the U.S. begins its first human trial of a dirty bomb antidote. In our first story today, Durham releases a final report on the FBI Trump-Russia probe. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, Axios, Al Jazeera, the Associated Press, CNN, and Fox News. On Monday, special counsel John Durham released his report after a four-year investigation into the origins of the FBI investigation of then-presidential candidate Donald Trump's 2016 campaign's potential ties to Russian operatives. Durham, who was appointed by Trump Attorney General Bill Barr in 2019, wrote that the FBI had a seriously flawed basis for opening the Crossfire Hurricane investigation in 2016. Durham also concluded that neither U.S. law enforcement nor its intelligence agencies possessed any evidence of collusion between Trump and Russia, and that officials ignored evidence that wasn't consistent with their intentions to continue the investigation. Throughout Durham's investigation, three people faced charges. Kevin Kleinsmith, a former FBI lawyer who was caught altering an email used to justify a wiretap application, pleaded guilty. Two other cases ended in acquittals for Michael Sussman, a lawyer for Hillary Clinton's campaign, and Igor Dachenko, a Russian-American analyst, who were charged with lying to the FBI. Previously, a U.S. Department of Justice Inspector General investigation cited similar problems with the FBI's tactics during the Trump-Russia probe. However, the inspector general in December 2019 concluded there was sufficient evidence to begin looking into Trump and Russia. In response to the report, Trump said he and the American public have been victims of this long-running and treasonous charade started by the Democrats. He called for former FBI Director James Comey and Democrats to be held accountable. All right, on this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were the facts. Let's start our narrative spins with the pro-Trump narrative from The Federalist. What was dismissed as a baseless conspiracy theory by some of the most powerful officials in the country and their media allies was actually true. The FBI was weaponized to prevent Trump from becoming president. There was never any evidence of collusion with Russia, and any related probe was meant to distract from Clinton's own scandal. The FBI must be greatly reformed, if not completely dismantled, for the good of the republic. Here's the Democratic narrative from MSNBC. By any measure, Durham's report is the biggest, most expensive, non-revelatory piece of work by a special counsel in the history of the U.S. There are no new indictments or recommendations, and all this ground was covered by earlier probes in the U.S. House and the DOJ Inspector General. Ironically, 
The report contradicts Republicans' reading of it by proving the Russia scandal wasn't entirely baseless, as Durham's investigation was a politically motivated waste of time. And we have a statistics-based nerd narrative brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 43% chance that Trump will win the 2024 U.S. presidential election if his opponent is President Biden. Executions reach their highest total in five years. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Radio Free Europe, ABC News, Yahoo News, BBC News, Al Jazeera, and Euronews. Amnesty International on Tuesday issued its annual report on the death penalty, revealing that the number of recorded executions in 2022 was 883 people, the most in a half decade. The total is a 53% increase over 2021, with 90% of the executions performed by Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. However, the reported total is skewed because Amnesty couldn't report figures from China, which keeps its death penalty data classified, but is believed to kill thousands annually. Iran committed 70% of the Middle East and North Africa's executions at 576, an 83% increase from 314 in 2021. Saudi Arabia tripled its executions from 65 to 196, while Kuwait, Myanmar, Palestine, Singapore, and the U.S. also saw sizable increases. The report also highlighted the number of people on death row for drug charges, citing that 94% of Indonesia's 112 new death sentences involved drug-related offenses. Only the most serious crimes, such as intentional killings, meet the threshold for capital punishment under international law. A total of 20 countries executed people in 2022, and 112 countries have abolished the practice for all crimes, while nine partially banned it for ordinary crimes. Despite the increase, the 883 executions in 2022 were still less than the 993 in 2017, a 4% drop from the 2016 total. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins. We'll begin with Narrative A from Amnesty International. The death penalty is a wickedly inhumane and evil form of punishment that is a stain on governments and humanity. Some countries are more extreme than others in the way they choose to callously murder their citizens, but the death penalty is always wrong. The state shouldn't decide who lives or dies. The death penalty must be abolished. Narrative B comes from ChantillyNews.org. The death penalty is a necessary legal recourse to deal with the most heinous and depraved criminals. Not only does executing murderers and terrorists bring justice, but it also acts as a deterrent for other potentially dangerous criminals. The level of legal consideration those on death row receive is far higher than other sentences, so the death penalty should continue to be part of the legal system as it has been for millennia. And here's another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community saying there's a 50% chance that capital punishment will be illegal in at least 38.1% of U.S. states in 2035. ChantillyNews.org, that's a new new source that we haven't seen on this program yet. Yeah, I wondered because my niece and nephew go to Chantilly High School uh, if it had anything to do with Fairfax, Virginia. And lo and behold... This is the Chantilly High School, the Purple Tide uh, school newspaper. And this is an opinion from one of their students. I think Way that's, to go. Uh, I think that's, yeah, you made the news, man. Good, yeah. good, good for them. Yeah. Open AI's CEO calls for AI licenses at the AI Congress hearing. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Forbes, and The Washington Post. On Tuesday, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, the company behind the artificial intelligence chatbot ChatGPT, testified before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee's Subcommittee on Privacy, Technology, and the Law to call for safeguards on powerful AI like the kind underpinning his chatbot. Altman was a co-founder of OpenAI, developed in 2015, before becoming CEO of the company in 2019. The company has since partnered with Microsoft after the tech giant invested $10 billion in the AI startup. During his testimony, Altman advocated for licensing and testing requirements to hold companies to safety standards as he detailed his key areas of concern, including the potential implications of AI on election integrity. The panel also heard from IBM's Chief Privacy and Trust Officer Christina Montgomery and NYU Professor Emeritus Gary Marcus, who was among several to previously call on OpenAI and other tech firms to pause their development of more powerful AI models for six months. While Montgomery backed AI regulations in specific circumstances, she cautioned against heavy oversight, opposing the creation of an AI-focused regulator as requested by Altman and Marcus. The growing concern among U.S. lawmakers over the impact of AI, which a Goldman Sachs report found could eventually replace 300 million jobs, comes as the EU recently moved forward with the European AI Act, though it's nowhere close to becoming law. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. The conversation brings us narrative A. While we don't want to leave regulation and enforcement to these private AI companies, traditional hardline legal frameworks don't work either, as this technology will evolve too rapidly for lawmakers to keep up. Therefore, a basic ethics guideline should be overseen by an independent regulatory body free from both private and governmental overreach. The Washington Examiner brings us Narrative B. As lawmakers quickly look for ways to rein in the AI industry, including the White House's AI Bill of Rights, we shouldn't forget the importance of technological innovation. Focusing solely on the potential harms of AI will cause us to lose sight of the groundbreaking positive impacts this technology can have on society. And we have another nerd narrative. The Metaculous community predicts that there's a 50% chance the first weekly general AI system will be devised, tested, and publicly known by March of 2026. I was watching this hearing earlier today, and the thing that struck me, they were taking so long to talk that I was thinking AI has advanced in leaps and bounds during this meeting. Like, when it's not where <laughs> this meeting is now out of date, like we're just taking so long talking about it. Yeah. You know, you know what will be really great is when AI can, you know how you listen to a podcast sometimes, not ours, of course, but you know, you speed it up to like a 2.0. Oh yeah. I listen to ours speed. extra slow. I want it to be as, as long, much of us as possible. Yes, right. It's like, just like taking the sound of your own voice. Yes. That's right. <laughs> I never do that, Scott. Mm. Um, but anyway, you know, sometimes you listen to a pie, you know, it's a two hours long. There's a lot of great info, but you want to keep it moving. Right. So you listen to it fast. Now, when we can get AI to do that in real time, put it into Congress, especially into bureaucratic systems and get the actual people to talk at a 2.0 speed. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm buying that. I'm in. That I'm would be that. nice. Yeah. I, I mean, we were chatting earlier about 
editing podcasts and how I think I used to do it. I used to edit corporate e-learnings at like 285% speed. I think it kind of broke my brain though. (laughs) That's not always a bad thing, right? Break your brain, build it back. There you go. I don't think I have to get to that part. Ukraine's air defense thwarts further Russian missile attacks on Kyiv. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Daily Sabah, Ukraine Forum, and the Associated Press. In the early hours of Tuesday for the eighth time this month, Russia launched a wave of missiles and drones at Kyiv. Serhii Popko, head of the military administration in the capital, said the latest attack was exceptional in its density, the maximum number of attacking missiles in the shortest period of time. Nonetheless, Ukrainian officials said that all 18 missiles fired at Kyiv were shot down by air defenses, including six Kinzhal missiles, one of the most advanced weapons in Russia's arsenal. However, as a result of the assault, falling missile debris was recorded in at least five areas of Kyiv, injuring three civilians. Kyiv Mayor Vitaly Klitschko added that the fragments of one missile fell in the grounds of the capital zoo. He confirmed there were no injuries to staff or animals and that the zoo would open as normal on Tuesday. Meanwhile, despite Ukrainian assertions that all missiles were shot down, Russia's defense ministry claims to have destroyed a U.S.-made Patriot air defense system in the course of the attack and that Ukrainian units and ammunition storage sites had been struck. Neither the Ukrainian nor the Russian account could be independently confirmed at this stage. Late last week, U.S. officials speaking to CNN said previous Russian attacks on Kyiv were attempts to destroy the U.S.-made Patriot air defense systems recently delivered to Ukraine. The officials said that while Russia may be able to zero in on their locations over time, attempts to take them out had so far failed. Thank you, Scott, for the facts. And here are the narrative spins, beginning with a pro-Ukraine narrative from Ukraine Forum. Thanks to the work of air defenses, Ukraine destroyed all 18 of the missiles fired by Russia in the latest attack, while minimal damage was recorded to infrastructure and buildings. Moscow's vicious assault was effectively countered in this success for Ukraine. Counter that with the pro-Russia narrative from Daily Sabah. Using its advanced Kinzhal missiles, Russia destroyed Ukraine's recently delivered U.S. Patriot air defense system and also hit Ukrainian units and ammunition storage facilities. The high-precision strikes were a strategic victory that has denied Kyiv use of a key piece of military technology and deprived Ukraine of crucial resources. And there's another nerd narrative saying there's a 71% chance that a NATO country will commit to sending at least one F-16 fighter jet to Ukraine before 2024. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. I love the zoo here in my city. Oh, man, that's mm. my happy place. Yeah. It's, it's a really we, nice park. Oh, my kids got to feed a sloth bear last week. Ooh. It was pretty great. Apparently, the sloth bears are like Baloo from the Jungle Book. Oh. And they have this, um, like, a little, like, fake rock that they unscrew that sends a tube into the enclosure. And what bears do in the wild, what the sloth bear does, is find a, a termite mound sure. that goes maybe, like, five feet above ground. And then it goes 60 feet down below. And they've got these rubbery lips that they mold around the opening of the termite mound. And then they blow really uh, explosively, right, puff of air, and then suck. And they can suck the termites up from 60 feet. Whoa. So 
So yeah, of course they you know they had like a some Cheerios for the kids to hold in their hand. Sure. And then it like they you can feel them like bluff, blow and some of them will fly away and then oh, and then they suck the rest of them up. And then so my awesome. kids took care of all the Cheerios on the ground. And that was like her explanation of like, well, how was the sloth bears? Like, oh, good. We fed him Cheerios. And, and then I got to eat the Cheerios on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> the head of Ukraine's Supreme Court is arrested after an alleged $3 million bribe. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Kiev Independent, the Sydney Morning Herald, and DW. The chairman of Ukraine's Supreme Court, Sledziov Konedziev, was reportedly arrested on corruption allegations, local sources said on Monday. The National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine, or NABU, alongside the Office of the Special Anti-Corruption Prosecutor, or SAP, did not mention Konedziev by name, but said they had exposed large-scale corruption in Ukraine's top court, adding that further investigations are continuing. NABU and SAP have exposed large-scale corruption in the Supreme Court, namely a scheme for receiving undue benefits by the leadership and judges of the Supreme Court. Urgent investigative actions are currently underway, NABU said in a statement. Nonetheless, Ukrainian media was able to confirm that it was in fact Konetsev that was detained, stating he was wanted on suspicion of receiving a $3 million bribe. One Ukrainian outlet citing sources reported that the money allegedly came from backers of Konstantin Zhivago, a Ukrainian billionaire who was arrested on embezzlement charges in France at Kiev's request last December. The bribe was said to be in connection with a court ruling in April that dealt with the firm Fair Expo. The case addressed a repurchase of shares from a subsidiary company that is said to have benefited Zhivago and others. Eighteen other Supreme Court judges reportedly, who also had a hand in the decision, are currently being investigated. All right. Unheard gives us the establishment critical narrative. Ukraine is notoriously one of the world's most corrupt countries. However, those concerns were hushed up and swept under the rug as soon as the war started. The longer the fighting goes on, the more these problems will start to resurface. And here's the pro-establishment narrative from Al Jazeera. While Ukraine does have a corruption problem, this is routinely over-exaggerated by Russia as one of the justifications for its invasion. In fact, Russia's corruption problem is far worse than that of Ukraine, which can be traced back to the Soviet era. Now that Ukraine is moving into the European sphere of influence, it is making steady improvements. It's on my bucket list to be offered a bribe. That would oh, be, yeah. I, I, feel I like, see I that. Feel like, I feel like I've arrived, you know, you've arrived when you've been offered a bribe. Now, I hope that I would do the right thing and turn it down, but I yes. would be like, you know, to be in that position where I'm being offered a bribe says something about me, I think. Yeah. You think you would just kind of revel in that for a little while before uh, you did the right thing, of course? Yeah, I would be flat. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Somebody and bribe I, Scott so we can turn it down. Thank you. DeSantis ends Florida's public funding for college DEI. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, The Washington Post, NBC, Forbes, and Politico. On Monday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed legislation that bans state colleges from using tax dollars to fund diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, programs, as well as a host of other educational reforms to higher education. 
Speaking at the New College of Florida in Sarasota, DeSantis stated that DEI has no place in our public institutions and referred to such programs as teaching, discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination. Florida, he said, isn't the place to study niche subjects such as critical race theory or gender ideology. The law bans courses that allegedly distort historical events or teach identity politics and empowers the State University Board of Governors to review college programs that are based on theories that systemic racism, sexism, oppression, and privilege are inherent in the institutions of the U.S. While the law doesn't eliminate specific programs, such as gender studies, critics believe that it will impede academic freedom with 20 states having introduced similar laws. The new laws could also be open to legal challenges, as a lawyer for the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression has stated that while governments have the right to dictate standards in education, the case law is clear that policies banning ideas from the classroom would be First Amendment violations. The new college has been a centerpiece of DeSantis's educational reform mission, with the traditionally progressive college undergoing a $34 million overhaul after he appointed a board of trustees that slashed funding for its DEI program in a bid to transform it into a classical liberal arts college. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins, beginning with a Republican narrative from Fox News. Tax money shouldn't be diverted to divisive, woke educational programs that prioritize politics over education and identity over merit. Colleges have been hijacked by activists whose curricula go against Western values, democratic ideals, and freedoms of expression and thought, a push that's profoundly unpopular with the general public and shouldn't be supported. And contrast that with a democratic narrative from Newsweek. Republicans are waging a war on education as a part of their culture war agenda. The GOP has manufactured a boogeyman with their distorted ideas of critical race theory and diversity programs to shore up their attacks on an imaginary, woke enemy. This assault on education harkens back to the days of McCarthyism as wokeness becomes a label applied to any and all opponents of the GOP. And there's another nerd narrative stating there's a 40% chance that there will be fewer than 400 public four-year colleges in the U.S. by 2050. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Virginia Representative Connolly's staff is attacked with a baseball bat. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Wall Street Journal, CNN, Fox News, The New York Times, Forbes, and Roll Call. On Monday, U.S. Representative Jerry Connolly, Democrat of Virginia, announced that a man armed with a baseball bat had walked into his district office in Fairfax and violently attacked two of his staff members. The assailant struck one senior aide in the head and a first-day intern in the side. Both were transferred to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. He also caused material damage by shattering glass in a conference room and breaking computers. The man, identified by Capitol Police as 49-year-old Fairfax resident Xuan Ka Tran Pham, has been arrested and faces charges for one count each of aggravated malicious wounding and malicious wounding. While no potential motive has yet been disclosed, this attack comes amid a rise in threats and violence against members of Congress in recent years. 
Cases scrutinized by the U.S. Capitol Police's Threat Assessment Section increased 144 percent from 2017 to 2021, when they peaked at over 9.6 thousand. Despite numbers dropping last year, threat levels remained high at some 7,500. In recent months, Representative Angie Craig, Democrat of Minnesota, has been attacked in her Washington, D.C. apartment building, and an aide for Senator Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, suffered life-threatening injuries after being stabbed on H Street. Thanks for that frightening story, Melissa. We have a Democratic narrative from the New Republic. Prominent Democrats and left-leaning figures have been targeted in increasing numbers of attacks in recent months. Yet their right-wing fellows have consistently failed to condemn political violence, even making jokes about such incidents. It's no wonder that the suspect in the latest attack on Democrats is a far-right conspiracy theorist who claims he has been secretly surveilled and, quote, tortured from the fourth dimension. And here's the Republican narrative from the National Review. Though this incident is indeed worrisome, it is vital to stress that Democrats have been trying to deceive the public into believing that mounting attacks on members of Congress reflect some organized action against their ranks. In fact, both sides of the political spectrum have suffered from threats and violence, evident in the brutal attack on the aide to Republican Senator Rand Paul. And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. They predict that there is a 2% chance that the USA will enter a second civil war before the year 2031. The fourth dimension is just time. So is he just like late all the time? Right. Or he has an uh, annoying alarm clock, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. UK visa scammers offer men 10,000 pounds to pose as fathers. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by BBC News, Express, The Telegraph, Guardian, and Daily Mail. A BBC Newsnight investigation has revealed that multiple British men have taken payments of thousands of pounds to add their names to birth certificates of migrant women's babies, helping the child to get UK citizenship and the mother a residency route. This comes as an undercover researcher posing as a pregnant woman who was living in the UK illegally, spoke to agents and claimed the process was very easy and that the passport would definitely be granted, with British men receiving up to £11,000, which is $13,700 American dollars. The report also drew on allegations made by two women who claimed to have paid between nine and £10,000 for a fake father to appear on their children's birth certificates, with one of them later discovering that the man had lied about his immigration status. Fraudsters have allegedly been using Facebook to find and attract prospective fathers on claims they have helped thousands of women with the move. Though Facebook's parent company Meta asserts such content violates its policies and is to be removed, the investigation claims it was widely advertised on some Vietnamese groups for job seekers. Under home office rules, a parent who has the sole or shared parental responsibility over a child that lives in the UK and is already a British citizen can apply for a family visa as long as the other parent is also a British citizen. Last year, more than 4,800 family visas were granted to other dependents. But the scale of the alleged fraud couldn't be estimated as the Home Office doesn't detail data on visas granted for non-UK parents of British children. Thanks for those facts, Scott, of that very interesting story. We'll begin this spin with an establishment-critical narrative from The Telegraph. 
This is just the latest way that economic migrants and people traffickers have found ways to skip the line for regular migration, as conservative governments have successfully failed to curb illegal immigration for more than a decade. Britain must restore control over its borders and scrutinize allegations made by those applying for family visas and claiming asylum. And the pro-establishment narrative comes from the Daily Mail. While this report is concerning, authorities have been working to curb a range of very sophisticated immigration scams. It is outrageous that fraudsters would take advantage of a rule enshrined in law to protect children, and officials are prepared to fully investigate these claims. The Tunisian opposition leader is jailed. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Africa News, DW, Middle East Monitor, Reuters, France 24, and Al Jazeera. A Tunisian court sentenced Rashed Ganucci, leader of the opposition and Nada party, to a year in jail and a fine of 1,000 dinars, $300, on charges of plotting against state security. Ganucci has said that the proceedings against him have been fabricated. Ganucci was originally arrested last month over comments he allegedly made calling police officers tyrants. He also warned that a civil war could emerge if the government worked to eradicate left-wing and Islamist opposition groups. Ennada said earlier this week that an unknown party used Ganucci's personal phone, saying that the two SIM cards of the head of the Ennada movement, Rashed Ganucci, were operated by an unknown party. Tunisian authorities last month also banned meetings at all Ennada offices and police closed the headquarters of the Salvation Front. The main opposition coalition, in what critics and rights group have characterized as a de facto ban. Since February, a number of politicians, former ministers, businessmen, trade unionists, and the owner of Tunisia's most popular radio station, Mosaic FM, have been arrested by local authorities. President Saeed said those detained were involved in a conspiracy against state security. Saeed also suspended parliament in July 2021 before holding a referendum this past summer, allowing him to change the constitution. He has continually defended his actions as necessary against a backdrop of civil unrest and an unstable economy. Narrative A comes from The Guardian. President Saeed is, yet again, using his power to strengthen his iron grip over Tunisia. Though he said that he doesn't want to become an autocrat, his unscrupulous actions speak far louder. Using the growing pains of Tunisia's young democracy as a pretext, he has taken over the North African nation and is cracking down on dissent to guarantee his control over civil society. A national dialogue must be undertaken to save Tunisian democracy and align it with the norms of the international community. Narrative B comes from Al-Mayadeen. Tunisians are tired of the corruption and dysfunction brought by the country's post-Arab Spring parties, namely the Islamist Ennahda Party. Ennahda, which dominated Tunisian politics over the last 10 years, has worked against the Tunisian people. The country was on the brink of collapse before Saeed dissolved parliament, and his actions were and continue to be necessary to maintain order and stability. My favorite you know, ancient or classical uh, civilization was always Carthage, which is, you know, where Tunisia is now. What's your Mm. favorite? My favorite ancient civilization? Yeah. What's your favorite? Uh, The Greeks gave such good theater. Yes. But the Egyptians were so mystical. Yes. It's a toss up. Big, like, uh, what's her name? Cleopatra. 
type situation for you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more I'm more interested in how the aliens communicated with them to 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 <laughs> to build the pyramids. Oh, you I, didn't know? I'll I'll tell you after the show. Oh, okay, good, good. Our final story, the U.S. begins the first human trial of dirty bomb antidote. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the National Institutes of Health, BBC News, and Bali Inside. The U.S. National Institutes of Health, or NIH, announced Monday that the first inhuman trial of an experimental drug designed to remove radioactive contaminants from the human body, known as HOPO-14-1, has begun. If the drug performs as expected, it will be used as a useful tool to treat individuals exposed to harmful radiation from events such as a nuclear power plant accident or exposure to a dirty bomb, a weapon that combines radioactive material with common explosives. The clinical trial, conducted by SRI International and funded by the NIH's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, will include 42 healthy participants between the ages of 18 and 65. The current phase of the trial is designed to check for safety, with participants taking different doses of HOPO-14-1 and reporting any side effects. If found to be safe and effective against radioactive contaminants such as uranium, neptunium, plutonium, and curium, it will be added to the stockpile as another drug for use in addition to two different intravenous drugs, iodine pills, and Prussian blue tablets. Radioactive contamination can harm a person's organs, tissues, and DNA, resulting in a variety of ailments, such as cancer. The development of preventative and treatment drugs has been a multi-decade effort because while there has never been a successful dirty bomb attack, there have been attempts. In 1996 and 1998, security services found and defused one dirty bomb planted by Chechen rebels in Moscow and another place near a rail line in Chechnya. And here are the narrative spins, starting with an establishment critical narrative from Scientific American. The U.S.'s inability to implement adequate treatments for radiation exposure is just another facet of its failed nuclear preparedness. While the age-old iodine pill is still around, there's still no magic bullet for individuals exposed to extreme or prolonged high levels of radiation. The government must diversify the drug and the cancer treatment industry to gain interest, support, and funding before it can be successful. And NBC News brings us the pro-establishment narrative. Despite talk of nuclear Armageddon, the U.S. has taken measures to ensure that Americans are protected from radiation exposure and radiation sickness in the unlikely event of nuclear war. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services spent $290 million on the drug N-plate, to bolster the strategic national stockpile. However, if an impending doomsday scenario was really credible, the government would be spending far more money on much larger amounts of such medicine. And the nerds have the last word with the nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 31% chance that if a global catastrophe occurs before 2100, it will be principally due to the deployment of nuclear weapons. I mean, after seeing that uh, Chernobyl show and how the people just basically melt, uh, not from heat, but from like the bonds of their cells falling apart. Like, I don't want any of that. I'm I'm there. You couldn't pay me enough. I'd rather be a fake father to a a refugee child. That's for sure. (laughs) You sure they couldn't pay enough? What if it was a three million dollar bribe? Oh, well, I got to turn that down. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Stand on ceremony. 
there that must show was be pretty a accurate, way. and those people melted, and that's oh, not cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. You don't want in on that, but uh, yeah, there must be some kind of... I mean, obviously, you're signing all kinds of waivers. I and... mean, you're probably being exposed to certain isotopes and different things in some sort of controlled way that it's, you know, it, it, to the extent... And I don't want to minimize this, but, you know, like, when you go to the dentist, you get blasted by x-rays, but the person who's... The radiologist doesn't stand in there with you because they'd be getting blasted all day. Right. So maybe it's like we're going to blast you this one time and measure this small thing. Hopefully right. they're not just like throwing people in a reactor or something. I don't right. know. Right. It's not not the uh, not the degree of radioactivity that you'd right. be exposed to at Chernobyl. Uh, let's <laughs> let's hope not, <laughs> Doctor Topshire. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Improve the News.